24. Galu explained what he needed and why. It was exactly what I had suspected. The reason we had to flee the land and take to the sea. The reason I could not risk being taken by the Yurks. It had all been a trap. A trap for the Yurks. We knew the Yurks would take the battle to the continent, Galu said. And we thought it very likely they would defeat us there. So we had a backup plan. We have planted a series of quantum bombs around the continent. Our plan was to wait until the Yurks had moved all their troops down to the continent, then explode the bombs. I nodded. Yes, I suspected this. Prince Jake looked at me out of the corner of his eyes, then raised one eyebrow. It wasn't an angry look, as I interpret human expressions. It was a little reproachful, though. We had transferred to one of the submarines and were already racing at maximum speed, south, to a point on the continent. The Lyrans don't need the continent. They are quite happy in their underwater cities, Galu said. But there's been some kind of problem with setting off the bombs. Our forces were overrun much too quickly. With the Escalin forces, we should have held out longer. The main switch was never armed. We've been beaming the destruct signal for hours. Nothing. And the Yurks will soon discover our trap. It's now or never. I hesitated. Should I tell Galu why our forces were so easily overrun? I took a deep breath. Sir, the Escalin was never in the fight. Galu swiveled both stock eyes toward me. What? Captain Semelin was a traitor, I said. He set the ship toward a landing behind your clients. He was killed. Once it was clear the Escalin could not escape, Tactical Officer Harolin made the decision to fire all weapons while on the ground. No one survived, except for us and two of our friends who have disappeared. I could see Galu slump. He seemed suddenly older, more frail. Why us? Morko said. Why do you need us to go in and arm this switch? We have few Andalites here on the planet now, and none who possess the wide array of morphs you have, Galu explained. All Andalite warriors are morph-capable, but few acquire morphs or use them. That is mostly done by our people in intelligence, spies, but you four may be able to penetrate the Yurk forces. Suddenly, he looked confused. His eyes went left, then right. I was sure it was four. Where is the other human? A cold lance of fear struck my hearts. Prince Jake was still there. Cassie, too. But Marco... Marco! Prince Jake cried. Marco! Marco! We are disappearing one by one, I said. Galu yelled a thought-speak summons that was heard clear through the submarine. Science officer, report to me right now! 
This is insane! Cassie said, her eyes blazing. What is happening? One by one we're disappearing! Cold fear wormed through my insides. I felt sorry for Marco and the others. Very sorry. But now I was more afraid than anything. It didn't take too much imagination to figure out that the rest of us would be disappearing eventually. It's one thing to face an enemy. It's very different to wait, powerless, for some unseen force to simply delete you. The sub raced on through the bright Lyran Sea, but there was no time to enjoy the view. Prince Shake, Cassie, and I were surrounded by Andalites. We were cross-examined by the sub's science officer. In between questions from him, we were bombarded by questions from Galoo and a counterintelligence officer. It was nerve-wracking, but at least it kept my mind off the awful suspense of waiting. Waiting. Waiting for another one of us to disappear. How long were you in zero space? Are you sure Captain Semela knew the ship was heading for York lines? What was the mass of the creature you morphed on Earth before being dragged into zero space? Did Captain Semlin seem embittered, stressed? At last, after half an hour, Galoo put an end to it. Enough! Semlin was a traitor. We have to accept that. He turned to the science officer. And you've asked the same question fifty times. Give me a hypothesis. Sir, I don't have enough. The science officer started to say, Just give me your best guess, Galoo demanded. I... I think these humans and this Earth's are still caught in a residual flux field. It is pulling them back towards zero space. It may even be snapping them all the way back to Earth. But my best guess is what's happening is a sort of elastic effect. They were stretched through zero space and back into normal space, but a small amount of their mass is still back on Earth. It may be acting like an anchor. We're on some big zero space rubber band? Prince Jake asked. It's been stretching all this time, and now it's starting to snap back? Yes! The science officer said, after I explained what a rubber band was. Maybe all the way back to Earth, in which case Rachel and Tobias and Markle are still alive. Cassie said. Or maybe just into zero space, in which case... From the data you've given me, the effect appears to be accelerating. The science officer said. You will go now, one by one, faster and faster now. Like your friends, you will each disappear. Galoo said. Under these circumstances, I cannot ask you to carry out this mission. Prince Jake shrugged. Under these circumstances, it doesn't look like we have anything to lose. Chapter 25 We were briefed by one of Galoo's officers. The Central Arming Unit is well hidden. It is in what the Lyrans call a Bright Hole. Here on Lyra, the volcanic past created a number of large underground bubbles in the rock. Because the rock contains a great many phosphorescent minerals, and bioorganisms. There is light in these holes, and thus, life. What kind of life? Cassie asked. Even now, she was interested in living things. Plant only, aside from insects and microscopic animals. This particular bright hole 
can only be reached two ways. Either someone on the surface must tunnel down through several feet of rock, or one must travel underwater, up a river, enter an underwater cave, pass through an absolutely lightless tunnel, and emerge at last in the bright hole. Prince Jake took a deep breath. Cassie took a deep breath. I took a deep breath. We each looked at each other. Galoo said, That's not all. The river itself may be guarded by Lyran controllers. The lightless cave is inhabited by a species of snake that uses echolocation to strike at anything passing by. These snakes hang from the ceiling and walls. But once within the bright hole, you are safe. Unless, of course, the Yurks have already found it. Is it too late for us to change our minds? Prince Jake said. Galoo looked alarmed. It is humor, I said quickly. Human humor often consists of pretending to wish something one does not really wish. What makes you so sure I don't mean it? Prince Jake muttered. More humor, I explained to Galoo. The submarine took us to the mouth of the river. It was as close as it could take us without becoming far too visible for safety. I know the oceans are salt water here, just like on Earth, Cassie said. But how about the rivers? The rivers are lower saline, the briefing officer said. Cassie shook her head. Hammerheads are saltwater fish. I don't know how they deal with freshwater. I just don't know. But they're still probably the best more for moving fast and winning fights. Good luck, Galoo said. The freedom of this planet rests on your tails. Or... Or whatever humans have that would be equivalent of tails. Shoulders, Cassie said. As long as there's no pressure, Prince Jake said. That would be human humor, Galoo said. Plus a little human fear, Prince Jake said. But then he laughed. Five minutes later, we were in the river, swimming against the current, our dorsal fins slicing upward into the air. This should be interesting, Prince Jake said darkly. I smell lyrins, I said. Up ahead, I recognized the smell from before. Yup, Cassie agreed. Good lyrins are bad, that's the question. We powered ahead. Through the slightly murky river water, we saw them. Two pebbly yellow tentacled amphibians. Psychic amphibians. As soon as we were within range of them, the Lyrans knew what we were. They turned and swam away as if their lives depended on it. After them! Prince Jake cried. They were heading for the banks of the river, trying to get up out of the water beyond our reach. They didn't have water jets, just their natural Lyran bodies. We were faster, but the bank was close. Closer! The water grew shallow, no more than seven feet. Five feet! The Lyrans were kicking up mud, but my shark senses could feel the electrical field of the Lyrans now. Blind, scraping my belly in mud, I lunged. My teeth bit down. I clamped and held on and struggled to pull the creature back out into the water. 
But then, up through the ripply surface, I saw a huge, looming hork bajir Two, no, four of them. They came stomping out into the water. I pulled back. I tried to turn as the Lyran kept fighting me. Then I heard the Lyran's psychic cry to the hork bajir Explosives! The whole continent is rigged to explode! There is a central switch! Bright hole! It's in a- I bit down harder. The pain stopped the Lyran from saying more. A hork bajir blade slashed down into the water. It sliced me, but not deep. I let go of the Lyran, jerked my head right, bit down with all my might on the nearest hork bajir's leg. I heard a howl of pain coming burbling through the water. The Lyran was scrambling away. Still half-blind, I lunged. The hork had backed off, and now I dragged the Lyran controller back out into deeper water. No! The yerk in his head cried. Oh, yes, I said. I swept behind him and bit off the lobe at the back of his head. Out came the yerk. Are you okay, Brother Lyran? I asked. I am now. Thank you, my Andalite friend. Hurry, hurry. The Yorks know your mission now. Hurry. I turned back upstream. Cassie and Jake fell in beside me. They had each had their own battles in the murky, shallow water. How long will it take the Yorks to find this bright hole? Prince Jake asked. Using the sensors aboard their orbiting ships, they will have a map of every subsurface cavern on the continent within five minutes. How long to find the right bright hole? I don't know. We must hurry. The fate of this planet depends on us. Chapter 26 There! Is that the underwater cave entrance? Cassie cried. I think so. It is in the right area, but there could be dozens of caves. No time to worry about it, Prince Jake said. We plunged into the mouth of the cave. The floor rose steadily, and we swam on grimly, blind, scared, and in a desperate hurry. Suddenly, I felt my snout break the surface. Air! I think we're here, Prince Jake said. Demorph! Cassie, what do you think? Batwarfs? There was no answer. Cassie! Cassie! Prince Jake cried. The rubber band effect. She's gone. Back to Earth. Or... It's happening faster, Prince Jake said. Less time between people disappearing. Just two of us now. We could both be snapped back before we reach the switch. He sounded like I felt, like he couldn't breathe, like he couldn't stop his heart from pounding. It was too much. Demorph, nothing to do now but hurry and try to get this job done, Prince Jake said. Yes, Prince Jake, I said. You know, Axe, there's just the two of us now. We could probably drop the whole Prince thing. He paused, then added, You could just call me the Jake formerly known as Prince. Is that a bit of humor? Yeah, a joke. Not much of one, but Marco isn't here, so I figure... At that point, 
he made the transition to mostly human and lost his thought-speak ability. I emerged as Endolite, standing in a cold, absolutely black cave, with water still sloshing over my hooves. But, 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 but. Prince Jake said. His mouth sounds echoed slightly. I focused on the bat. I felt myself shrinking, although there was nothing to see for comparison. But I could almost feel an upward breeze as I dropped down from my own height, down to the stumpy few inches of the bat. Just you and me now, Axe. Yes. If one of us is stopped, for any reason, the other one has to keep going. Clear? We fired echolocation bursts and saw the sketchy portrait of a cave that stretched on and on, far past our faintest ultrasonic echoes. We took to wing. We flapped up on leather wings and raced at full, tearing speed. We have to remember these snakes, I said. Ooh. Prince Jake said with a sort of shudder. Yes, I agreed. We flapped as if our lives depended on it, through jutting rocks and stalactites, around sudden turns, up sudden chimneys, and down sudden wells. All of it reduced to colorless lines in our mind's eye, a sketch drawn with blasts of sound. Around one hairpin turn, and suddenly, a blast of sounds, a cacophony of echolocating squeaks and trills. These snakes, I cried. Our own echolocation showed them as writhing lines that hung from the low ceilings and reaching out from the walls. There were thousands, millions, all firing their own echolocations, yammering and confusing the echoes of our own blasts. Suddenly, in all the ultrasonic noise, the pictures in my head became distorted. Wild, swerving, swooping lines, writhing borders of objects that no longer seemed solid. What do we do? Prince Jake asked. As Rachel would say if she were here, we go for it. It was a nightmare. Deadly snakes filled the air. Lost, confused, we powered on, flapping wings that became more and more shredded as more and more snakes found their target. I lost maneuverability, losing speed. I had lost sight of Prince Jake altogether. I could no longer tell up from down. I was spinning, flapping madly, afraid and confused. Lost! Lost in a squirming madhouse of darkness. And then, swoosh! I blew free of the snakes. The cave walls backed off. The ceiling was gone. And light! Blessed light was glowing all around me. I was in the bright hole. I soared upward on tattered, shredded wings, up into the stale air. Everywhere, flowers and plants in absurd colors exploded from the walls of the hole. Prince Jake! Jake! I called. But there was no answer. Quite suddenly, I was all alone. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel, and I'm sorry my loud housemate is playing music very loudly if you can hear that in the background. Also sorry if uh, the sound quality changed a little bit 
in between some of these chapters, I uh, downloaded a newer version of Audacity to try to fix some processing problems my computer was having, and uh, they got rid of all my settings for when I uh, equalized my audio, so I had to redo that. Uh, it's different, but I think, fine, you probably didn't notice. I don't know. I'm not a sound engineer. Uh, I don't have too much to say here. Uh, we are. This is the penultimate episode of Book 18. We are almost at the end here, so very exciting. Stay tuned. Uh, and uh, just, you know, the rest of the stuff that you have come to expect here, which is, if you're using Apple Podcasts, please leave me a rating and review if you feel like. Tell a friend if you feel like. Uh, if you'd like to reach me about this, you can do that at theapodcalypse.com, uh, audiomorphscast.tumblr.com, or audiomorphscast, excuse me, audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Uh, speaking of The Apocalypse, that is my website where I put all my other stuff that I do, including this podcast, so uh, check that out. That's The Apocalypse, like Apocalypse, but with the D in the middle. Uh, I think my food is almost here. Because uh, I ordered delivery because I'm a monster. Uh, so I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you all for listening. And I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel. And I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>